It's time now for Gina Gardner and Friends, the show that shares stories from inspiring people, from a wide range of expert guests, all focused on helping you live a happier, more successful, and fulfilling life. Gina Gardner is a multiple number one international best-selling author, motivational speaker, business coach, and trainer. She's the founder of Genuinely You and has over 30 years experience of helping people step into their genuine, authentic power, personally and professionally. Matthew. Huh? Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thanks, Mom, for never giving up and always being my biggest fan. Thank you for letting me know what you expect so I can try to meet your expectations. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. And now, here's your host, Gina Gardner. Hello there, and a huge welcome to Gina Gardner and Friends. In today's episode, I've got an amazing lady um, who's going to be having a conversation with me, and that's Deb Morgan. She's a coach, an author, a podcaster, and a global speaker. And it's my pleasure to introduce Deb. Hello, Deb. Thank you very much for joining me today. Hello, Gina. Thank you very much for having me. Looking forward to it. Now, you have a mission in life. My mission is about enlightened leadership. Yours is helping women, midlife women, actually come out from behind their mask and to, to start to play big on this stage we call life. And today we're going to be exploring just how the worst days of your life can actually become the best. And both of us have got stories where we can demonstrate that that's true. Mm-hmm. I'd love you to share your story. Why is that true for you? Well, in a very small nutshell, and I'm happy to explore this further as we go through the course of this interview. I started off, I suppose, I've got three abusive relationships in my background. My first marriage was physically and sexually abusive. My second was psychologically abusive. And then I ended up in an economically abusive long-term relationship. I also, in between my second marriage and that third relationship, I ended up working in the sex industry as a result. I tried to take my own life. And I'd had a business failure. I I'd been the owner of a very successful UK industry leading business. That business went through. I lost my business. I had to put it through um, administration. I became personally bankrupt. And I lost residency of my son and endured a 10-year legal battle to be recognized as my son's primary carer. And all of that combined to make me get to a stage where I forgot who I was. I had no idea who I was anymore. I had lost my confidence. I had very little self-esteem. And I was almost afraid of my own shadow. And I got to a stage where I had to, I recognized that I needed to take some sort of control and to try and get my life back on track. 
And it sounds so easy when you say it in a sentence like that, but it was far from easy. And over the years, I was able to just talk to people. People would say to me, how did you cope with your bankruptcy? How did you cope with multiple divorces? How did you cope with domestic abuse? And I would start talking to them and sharing little snippets of my story. And then somebody said to me, you need to write a book one day. And I didn't really take it seriously, but I started writing things down. And it was only as I looked back, I thought, oh, my goodness, you have been through a lot here, but what's the theme? And whilst I guess my overriding mission is to reduce the prevalence of domestic abuse, I recognised that the way to do that was to empower women. And I say midlife women, but, you know, all women, actually, but empower midlife women to take back control and stop hiding in the shadows. And I use the term, step out of the wings into your spotlight. Like an actor, and I've got a background in acting, stepping out of those dark, dark wings into the spotlight. And depending where you are on the stage, depends how much of the light shines on you. And I know from personal experience what it feels like to be absolutely front and centre in that spotlight. And it feels marvellous. I'm not saying everybody needs to rush out and be centre stage on a stage in front of a massive audience at all. But finding your own spotlight, finding your own centre stage in life is so important because once you've got that, then you realise your self-confidence comes back, your self-esteem, your self-worth. And I guess almost linked to what you do, Gina, it's about finding your personal leadership, if you like. So that is why I do what I do with the underpinning sort of overriding mission to reduce the prevalence of domestic abuse. Because when we have our self-confidence, when we have our self-esteem, that's when we look after ourselves and our relationships There's just so much there, isn't there? And for our listeners, I think, you know, and I don't want to be facetious about this, Mm -hmm. but one could almost say that, you know, that you were were greedy in terms of how many challenges that you had within your life. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I'm prepared to, you know, I was at the time I would have been quite happy for somebody to take some of those challenges away from me. I'm sure you I don't want to come across as trite, but I think what for, for people who are listening, many of them will be able to pick out, you know, you don't have to have all of those traumas to, mm-hmm. for these lessons to work. And I think that's the point. Exactly. Of exactly. That whether you are someone who just simply lacks confidence or mm-hmm. if you're in a relationship where you are unhappy, whether that's a personal relationship or a business relationship mm-hmm. where you feel that you are the victim in any circumstance. I think this is about recognising that you don't have to stay in that place. And for me, your story is one of of resilience, Mm -hmm. but it's more than that because it's not just that you have bounced back. You've turned it around and you've made all of those challenges be part of who you've become and now you're helping others. And so when we talked about the the theme, which is making the worst day or days of your life the become the best, for me, whatever the challenge you have, it's not the challenge that defines you, it's what you do with it. Absolutely. And you have used that as the fuel 
to help you become the best version of yourself Mm -hmm. and to help others. And anyone listening, if you're feeling desperate at the moment because you are going through any one of those scenarios, just recognize that there is hope that you can turn this around and take charge of your own life. Definitely. What for you was the, was it a particular thing or circumstance that made you decide, do you know what? I'm not putting up with this any longer. Or was it a series or was it a slow recognition? You know, most people in your situation, and you talked about the fact that you got to the point where you were ready to take your own life. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're talking pretty desperate straits here. What was it that turned things around for you? There are a couple of defining moments that I can absolutely pinpoint, and I can go straight back there with amazing clarity. And one of them was the first attempt to take my own life. And I was sat at my desk. I had pills pushed out of the packets in front of me. I had drunk a bottle of wine and I had a bottle of vodka at hand to do the job properly. And I'd actually put one handful of pills into my mouth, lifted the bottle of vodka to to knock them back with. And I caught sight of a photograph of my son on my bookshelf. And I realized in that moment that I would do whatever it took to ensure I was around for him because I didn't want him. He He was five years old at that time. And I didn't want him to get to the age of 14 believing that mummy killed herself because she didn't want you and didn't love you. So that was the messaging he was getting from his father, that I had left him because I didn't want him. When I'd actually, I'd left his father, I hadn't left my son. His father was refusing to allow my son to be with me. So that was one of my defining moments. And I thought there has to be a better way. I don't know what it is. And actually that was the moment that I entered the sex industry. Okay. Um, so that's one defining moment. There's another defining moment where I was in the third relationship and I, I entered that relationship as I came out of the sex industry, um, bizarrely. And I got to the stage, I was very, very depressed and very much feeling like a victim, like I was worthless. And not only would people not want me because I had two failed marriages behind me, they certainly wouldn't want me now that I'd worked in the sex industry and what on earth was I doing? Also recognising that I was also in a very controlling relationship again. And I got to a stage where I was on antidepressants. I was on beta blockers because I was having panic attacks every time I went outside. And I'd spent about three weeks living on my kitchen floor. And when I say living on my kitchen floor, that's what I mean. I spent three weeks dressed in the same pair of pajamas. I didn't shower. I didn't bathe. I didn't wash my face, wash my hair. I didn't brush my teeth. I was literally getting up off the kitchen floor, getting some food. And when I say getting some food, I was scrabbling around and eating things like crisps or um, things like that. So junk food, convenience food, living like vermin in my own apartment. And my partner at the time, he was a professional man, although he was controlling. He he didn't know how to handle the situation. You know, it wasn't him making me live like that. At that point, I was very much locked into my own victimhood and feeling like he didn't deserve me, nobody else deserved me. 
Um, I deserve to be treated badly. And it was tough for him as well, although it wasn't a good relationship. It was tough for him. And I remember him coming home from work one day and he'd obviously reached the end of his tether. And he said to me, Deb, I really don't know what I can do to help you, but you have got to have a shower. You stink. And I must have stunk. You know, I, I hadn't bathed or taken care of any personal hygiene for three weeks. And that really hit me to tell me I stink. And to for somebody who said he loved me to make me feel that bad and meet me at the place that I was feeling about myself actually made me wake up. And I remember sitting with my back against the kitchen unit, sitting on the floor, back against the kitchen unit and thinking, he's right. He's absolutely right. And actually, I'm the only person that can change this because he's been trying and I've not listened. And I played with that thought for a while, probably for about 48 hours, and slowly started to change and when I say slowly the first day I actually went and showered I put my dirty pajamas back on because I felt guilty for being clean which was really a really weird place to be but the next day I showered again and put clean clothes on and then the next day I actually washed my hair because I'd let the water go onto my hair but I hadn't actually washed it with shampoo and conditioner and so on and so forth, until I got to the stage where I was comfortable to stand on my doorstep, letting the fresh air touch my face. I stood there with a cup of tea. And from there, I just took, did a tiny, took a tiny step every single day that ingratiated me back into society, if you like. And it was at that point I recognized that even the tiniest action can create massive change. There, we're going to unpick the richness of what you're offering our listeners, but we've got to go to a short break. Mm -hmm. So don't go away. While we're, while we're in the break, you know, just consider as you're listening to this that Things don't have to be on a massive scale, as Deb has experienced, for us to feel that we are a victim. But that's our choice, ultimately. And when you decide to take matters into your own hand, you can become the hero or heroine of your life. And we're going to explore how you can do that when we come back after the break. So please don't go away. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control and priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. Hello there. 
My name's Gina Gardner, and I'm the host of Gina Gardner and Friends. I know you're all incredibly busy, and I know that there's so many calls upon your purse or your wallet at the moment, but I'm here to ask for your help. Help for a charity called Mom Plus Me, that are supporting children, many of whom are orphans and disabled, and families that have been dispossessed by the war in Ukraine, which has now been going on for a year. They need your help desperately. There's no electricity, and so things are incredibly difficult. So please help by making a donation to justgiving.com forward slash crowdfunding forward slash mom plus me. That's justgiving.com forward slash crowdfunding forward slash mom, M-O-M plus P-L-U-S me, M-E. Thanks very much. You can make such a difference. Welcome back. Before the break, Deb was sharing with us the desperate straits that she had reached before she started to pick things up and take control of her own life. And I must thank you for being so honest and being prepared to be so vulnerable, because I think that's really helpful, because it's not been done in a poor me victim way. It's been done to state this is what was going on. And what strikes me throughout this is that the shift that happened was that you started to take responsibility for you. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's the important thing. I bang on about taking radical responsibility for your thoughts, your emotions, your actions, your language. Because when you do that, you can't be a victim anymore. But I do recognize that the depths that that one needs to go to at times in order to find that out for yourself it's really challenging. Yet if people can take on the principle before, they never need to reach those depths. So you talked about incremental changes and those small actions creating momentum. As you started to recover, what were the strategies that you now share with other people that worked for you, that helped move you from that desperate place? One of the biggest strategies that I use with, I think everybody I work with is about small steps. And I try and explain it by the compound interest effect. You know, we put, although these days you put money into a bank account, you don't earn very much on it at all. But if you put some some savings away, you earn interest. And then the next day you're in interest on the interest and so on and so forth. And what I found, and I saw this across all areas of my life, if we are setting goals, and usually people set goals within the new year or around September time in the UK when it's back to school time, and we have these huge goals, which mm-hmm. seems so overwhelming and so intimidating. So many of us fail at them because we think, well, I can't possibly achieve all of that in that set time. And I know I do the same thing. But when I started to look at my big goals, and work out what do I need to do just to get slightly further towards that goal, slightly closer closer to that goal, and started applying that to my own life, that's when I noticed I was making massive change. At the end of a week, 
you have whether you do it in five, over five days or seven days you have five or seven days worth of actions there that you have taken mm-hmm. at the end of a month you have roughly 30 days worth of actions at the end of a year how many how how close can you be to your goals a lot of goals you will have achieved at the end of the year by taking small actions every day and i break it down sometimes so if you if you need to if you want to go and do a yoga class at a local gym club yeah. community hall for example first thing you need to do research yoga classes in my neighborhood that's all you do that day then the next day you might pick up the telephone and ring one of them or you might send an email to one of them say i'm interested in your classes when are they and the day after that you think okay i now i know they're at seven o'clock on a tuesday maybe i'll book you make that decision then the next day you telephone them or you go online and you book your place on that class but that's not it then it's not over then because then you actually have to go to the class so it might be working out how you get from your home to the class or from your place of work to the class so perhaps you need to drive there or catch public transport there and you do this over a series of days until you feel comfortable in the action you are taking now some people will do three four five actions in one day some people depending on where they are at one action is just enough for them and making that decision to take one small action every day is huge you know people often go for the grand gesture don't they i mean mm-hmm. I use the example quite a lot, and I've used it on the show many times, of you know wanting to get fit, so they join a gym, they buy all the clothes, they go for the induction, they overdo it, and then they can't move for three weeks, so they don't ever go again. Mm-hmm. The small actions consistently done make a huge difference. And I just want to share an example of, of, of a particular client who was totally in overwhelm. They had got to the stage where, not quite on the kitchen floor like you, but they were doing nothing. And when I spoke to her, and it was our first session, she said, I've got three weeks washing up piled up in the kitchen. I've run out of cups and plates. There's no shopping. There's stuff everywhere. And I can't find the energy to do anything. And I just feel totally overwhelmed. I've been signed off from work with stress. How am I ever going to get back? And then it was, well, I'll lose my job. And if I lose my job, I'll lose my house. I'll be out on the streets. And the catastrophizing was going. Mm -hmm. And so I said to her, well, let's start. Which room are we going to start with? And she decided she was going to start with the kitchen. And I said to her, set the kitchen timer for 10 minutes. Is this stuff in your sink? Yes. Well, in 10 minutes, you're going to do 10 minutes worth of washing up. And then create 10-minute sections of what you're going to do no more than 10 minutes and decide how many sections you're going to do the interesting thing i found and i've used this technique in a whole variety of different ways is that once people create a bit of momentum then Mm -hmm. it's not the one action it's not the 10 minutes of action within a day she said well i did the 10 minutes and then I carried on and I found out I'd done an hour and my kitchen was clear. And so I got the motivation to start on the bedroom. But by breaking it down into manageable time, I talk about the fact you can't eat a cow or a whole field of corn in one sitting. Exactly. Mouthful by mouthful, it's really nice. Mm -hmm. 
So we're about to go into the second break. And when we come back, I want you to share with us about your books and also um, about how you think of worst days when you now recognize that they're your best days. What's What underpins that thought for you? So don't go away. We'll be back in a minute. Long day with ADT. It's safe to say. Nap time. Okay. When you know your home is protected by the largest security network in the industry. Protect what matters most with the security company that's helped save more lives than any other home security provider. Meet Norm. He lives with anxiety. But with the help of this latest innovation from Be Normal, he can be normal. Just like everyone else. With the swipe of a finger, you can project happiness, confidence, machismo. Why settle for being real when you can be normal? The Normal Maker. New from Be Normal. This item doesn't really work because there's no such thing as normal. We're all different. What we like, how our brains work. In fact, one in five of us live with mental illness. Don't filter who you are. Start by talking to someone you trust. And remember, there is no normal. Were you exposed to hazardous materials while serving in the military and have an illness or condition as a result? If so, you may be eligible for VA benefits and services. Whether you need health care or want to file a disability compensation claim related to military exposures, VA is here to help. Visit va.gov forward slash military exposures to learn more and apply today. Welcome back. So, Debs, you've got two books. I have. And where can people get them? Well, the first book is called Whatever It Takes, Living With, Leaving and Surviving Psychological Abuse. And that's my story through my second marriage, which for me was the most difficult part, the most difficult thing I had to deal with. And the second book is called Create Your Blockbuster Life, Step Out of the Wings into Your Spotlight. And that is a book which has my my strategies. It's my attempt to put into one place all of the things I did to get me off that kitchen floor to where I am now. And they're the tools that I continue to use on a daily basis in one form or another. So they're available on Amazon, or you'll probably find them quicker and easier on my website by going to www.deb-morgan.com forward slash shop, where you'll get them in both paperback and PDF download. Fabulous. So, you know, when you think about the worst days of your life becoming your best, how would you describe that process to somebody who, for whom it's perhaps sounds a bit mad? (laughs) For me, it is about looking back. And I think it's Steve Jobs who said, you can't join the dots looking forward, you can only join them looking back. And I recognize when I was in it, they felt nothing like a stepping stone towards the best days of my life. I thought things were just going to get worse or I was going to end up dead. And obviously I very nearly did. But when I look back, I can absolutely see the path that got me to where I am now. And I have a plaque hanging on a hook in my kitchen, which says there are no mistakes only lessons. Mm -hmm. And of course, I see that every day, every time I make myself tea or coffee, every time I cook dinner for my family. And I recognize in that, that whilst I might have made some wrong choices through my life, 
every single one of those choices led me to learn some incredible lessons, whether that was lessons about how resilient I am, lessons about putting boundaries in place, lessons about how to motivate myself. Every single experience of my life has taught me lessons. Some of the lessons have been good, and some of the lessons were, don't ever do that again. And but I think it's sense, important. those lessons are just as good. Oh, absolutely. They? And because they can could argue. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Exactly. So people laugh when I say I have no regrets. And I don't because when, when I'm asked, is there anything you would change? And I might tweak one or two things. But if I change things, I wouldn't be here doing what I'm doing now. And I get so much reward from this. And I'm not talking financial reward. I'm talking just that satisfaction that I'm helping others. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm just an ordinary woman who happened to go through some tough stuff and is now choosing to share that. And actually, the scariest thing is sharing my story. David, just remains for me to say a big thank you. Really enjoyed um, you being on the show. And to you as listeners, love to hear from you, hear your story. Um, email me at Gina, G-I-N-A, at ginagardnerandfriends.com. Um, and you'll find lots and lots uh, about me on any of the websites. You'll find those details in the show notes. So join me again next show. Love to have you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye now. Thanks for listening to Gina Gardner and Friends, the show that helps you live a happier, more successful, and fulfilling life. To learn more about Gina Gardner, go to genuinely-u.com. If you would like to work with Gina or book her as a speaker, email her at gina at genuinely-u.com.